Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 98 of the Sample Chapter Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I've I've been looking through the numbers and there's a lot of new people listening to the show lately. Thank you so much. If you are a new person listening to the show, thank you for picking it up. Thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate that you have uh, found something with this show. I know we've got almost 100 authors now that have come on and read sample chapters. There's so many incredible authors and books for you to sample. And uh, I hope you're enjoying this. There's uh, new countries popping in. I, I'm just blown away by the numbers here lately with the uh, the number of downloads and people checking in. So, again, if you're brand new to the show, thank you so much. I really appreciate you uh, listening. And uh, don't forget to head on over to our social media pages on Twitter and Facebook. Like us there so you can follow more. Uh, if you want to reach out, our email is samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com. You can reach us there, or of course, you know, through social media, you can reach us there as well. So many good things going on, and you know, this week is no exception. Christopher D. Schmitz is our our guest this week, and oh man, let me tell you, this is this is a lot of fun. I I met him earlier this year at the Planet Comic Con in Kansas City. He was running around dressed like Wolverine, and I I kept wanting to get over there. I kept wanting to go meet who this guy was because I didn't realize he was an author at first. And it wasn't until towards the end of the con I finally got to go and, and uh, say hi. And then that's why I found out, oh my gosh, this is awesome. He's an author. He had a really cool uh, card that he gave me. It looked like an action figure card. So that was really awesome. And uh, yeah, it was just I was looking forward to this for a long time. And uh, so happy to get to sit down and talk with him. You're going to love hearing about Chris, his extremely interesting life, and lots of funny stories that he's got. And then his chapter reading. He does not just one but two chapters, because uh, they're short, but man, they are just jam-packed full of laughs, and uh, so many so many good things to quote from, it's just hard to even nail down one. That's going to be coming up here in just a moment, but first I just want to say thank you once again to everybody uh, tuning in. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out each week whenever we come back with a new episode and a new author. This is the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books, and, uh, yeah, it's non-genre specific, so we have a variety of authors on here at all times. Uh, in the news, we are still, you know, we're, we're charging forward for episode 100. That is coming up real soon. Uh, I think last time I announced that uh, I pushed it back to December 17th before that comes out. Now, I, I'm going to be honest, I don't know. Um, my schedule has been absolutely through the roof here lately with just, it's the holidays. I've got a lot of personal things going on, a lot of family things I'm I'm working on. Uh, you know, it's all everything's good. So that's the good thing. But uh, at the same time, yeah, because I am such a family man, uh, I want to make sure that I'm taking care of my family first. And so, yeah, I'm taking care of that. But uh, rest assured, we're going to have that episode. It is coming out this month, and I don't know that it'll be the 17th, but it will be shortly afterwards. But yeah, if you're subscribed. Or if you're following us on social media, then you're going to see when that episode comes up. But the good thing is, since that episode is going to be delayed just slightly, it means you have more opportunities, more time to sign up for the amazing giveaways that we have going on. Our sponsors have been donating things to us. We've got uh, Scrivener, 
the writing software, they gave us two copies of Scrivener, one for Mac, one for PC. So if you want to win one of those, make sure you reach out to us through social media or uh, email me and let me know, hey, yeah, you went in on that. We have the Amazon gift card, and iTunes gift card. There is the Logitech multi-device keyboard that I use. Uh, you're not getting mine. No, but you're going to get one. <laughs> that is also up for grabs. Lots of great things. So, yeah, if you're interested in any of that, head on over to our social media pages. Look for the link post on Twitter uh, or go to the Facebook page and uh, learn how you can sign up. But, you know, essentially it's very easy. Just tell me you want in and tell me what prize you would, you're interested in and you're in. Share the episode, uh, your favorite episode, and tag an author on there that has been your favorite so far, and you get a double entry. It's that really that simple. And, uh, you know, if you're not on social media, like I said, just reach out to me through email, and I'll be happy to put you in there. You're going to, there's so many easy ways to enter, and uh, everybody's got a great chance to win something. So make sure and reach out. Well, I know I talked about uh, that uh, maybe next time I would uh, talk about NaNoWriMo, but I think I'm just going to save some of that stuff for. Uh, the uh, 100th episode, because that will be my uh, when I do a lot of talking in that one and uh, sharing uh, the winners and such. So I'm going to save that for what's coming up. Right now, I just want to say thank you to our sponsors. Specifically, uh, we have you store all out of Warrensburg, Missouri. If you are moving to Missouri and you're looking for self-storage, you need to store your things for the winter, store them for the next six months or a year, whatever it is. You know, maybe you're a military who's deploying. U-Storeall is the absolute best place for you to go. They have two facilities. They're both fenced in. You get your own private gate code. Climate control and non-climate control. They're very, very clean facilities. Constantly being rated as a clean and uh, you know nice management up there. They really take care of you. Military discounts and uh, just awesome stuff. Uh, plus, they have solar power running most of the facilities. So, also very green check them out online at ustoral.net that's spelled u-s-t-o-r-a-l-l.net i also want to say thank you to scrivener of course i already mentioned them once but uh, you know they're they've not only donated to our 100th episode giveaway coming up but they're also a sponsor of the show i use scrivener every day with my writing i can't imagine i mean i, I it's like hard for me even to, to fathom what my writing was like before moving over to Scrivener. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, I'm writing along and I've got my chapters are broken up on the left-hand column. I suddenly think of something from an earlier point. I just jump back to that chapter. It's that easy. Jump back, write a couple lines. Okay, now go back to where I was. And it's just, you know, all of your research, all of my chapters, everything I'm looking for is right there just to click away. So make sure you listen up for the commercial coming up for them here in just a second and uh, get in there and give them a try. Yeah, even if you don't, even if you sign up for the giveaway and you don't win one, listen up on the commercial. We're going to get tell you how to get 20% off your regular desktop version. I also want to send you over to our friends at popgoesaculture.com. They are uh, they're an incredible bunch of people over there with lots of podcasts, blogs, everything pop culture related. Uh, <laughs> I, I also met those guys for the first time at Planet Comic Con in Kansas City. Early this year, we'd been working together somewhat for uh, for about a month or two beforehand, uh, before I got to actually meet them, Joey Mills and the, and the gang down there. Uh, but uh, yeah, they, there's, there's so many great things uh, on their website and uh, so many good podcasts. 
Uh, some of them are on hiatus right now, but uh, there are so many others that are not. So click the link in the show notes for all of these sponsors and our friends like Pop Goes Culture and uh, check out what they have to offer. This you, you won't regret it. It's a lot of fun stuff. Well, like I said, Christopher D. Schmitz is our guest this week for episode 98. He is a sci-fi, fantasy, and spec fiction author. Uh, so many books. I believe he's got, he says he's got over 20 books. I was checking on his Amazon and uh, I, there, he's got a lot. He, he is really putting out a lot of books. He's also a serial entrepreneur, uh, self-described with so many things he likes to do on the side. Uh, I get the feeling we would get along really well with uh, all the uh, ideas running through our heads all the time. Uh, like me, he's also a brown coat, a uh, big fan of Firefly, and a fellow coffee lover. Uh, we had such a great time uh, having a talk, and I, I just couldn't stop laughing in the background. You can hear me chuckling. Uh, every once in a while you can hear it. I've gotten much better about my microphone and my mouth placement so that I'm not right up on the microphone laughing all the time, but still you can hear me chuckling in the background once in a while as he's going through there. And I tell you what, when he goes into his chapter reading and you start hearing things like, Furries, run! <laughs> or, or super magic friendship beat down. Uh, cosplay is not consent. <laughs> when you start hearing things like that, I mean, how can you not laugh? And that's just a couple of the uh, the lines I picked up on that just, you know, those in particular that made me laugh. Uh, those are so many more. You're in for a good time. And uh, I mean, just there's, there's no reason for me to even keep going. Let's get us on over to the interview with Christopher D. Schmitz right after a word from our sponsor. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Sample Chapter Podcast. Listeners all over the world, have I got a treat for you today. This week, we are sitting down with Christopher D. Schmitz. He is the author of both sci-fi, fantasy, fiction, and nonfiction books. He's been published in both traditional and independent outlets. If you've ever looked at indie writers in the upper Midwest, you may have heard his name whispered in dark alleys with an equal mix of respect and disdain. He's been featured on television broadcasts, podcasts, and runs a blog for indie authors, but you've probably still never heard of him. If you've ever gone to a Comic-Con somewhere, you have seen the Wolverine running around. It is the one and only Christopher D. Schmitz. Christopher, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> I'm glad to have you here, too. I, I remember, this is really cool, because I had such a fun time uh, earlier this year at the Comic-Con in Kansas City, and I remember seeing you in your amazing Wolverine costume, running around the place once in a while, and I was so happy before the end of the day to get to stop and talk to you. Yeah, I'm going to be back at Planet again um, this year. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, I've got a pretty big con schedule this year. I'm hitting hitting some of the major ones this year. Um, 
Planet was probably the is one of the top two cons that I did last year, uh, size wise. And uh, yeah, it was a it was a wonderfully well run, well put together con. I'm I'm excited to go back. Yeah, me too. Me too. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Lots of great guests already announced. Gonna be a good time. So I may maybe um, possible I could be doing a few more things this time. So I'm I'm excited. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself that's uh, that's maybe not in your bio. Oh, uh, uh, I'm a big nerd. Uh, <laughs> probably assume that by the uh, the the comic convention um, <laughs> piece that we just had. Uh, boy, I, I do I do a few other little things on the side. Um, my my main job I work uh, I work with teenagers. Uh, I run a run a youth program up here in Minnesota. I I don't think it's even zero degrees outside right now. It is uh, insanely cold, uh, and it's we're we're just barely into December, so that's great. Mm. Uh, the I I drink a lot of coffee because the caffeine shakes keep the cold from killing me. Um, so so that's good. Uh, I I do some uh, some game design on the side too. Um, I'd I'd love to get to some of those cons and pitch some of my game stuff uh, at some point in the future, but. Uh, I'm usually so busy with with my books that uh, we'll see if that ever happens. But I'm, I'm sitting here in my my man cave. I'm staring at a huge stack of stuff. I, I recently won a contest for some game design stuff in Gale Force Nine. Uh, I'm a huge Firefly fan, mm-hmm. and uh, I also have a sci-fi series that I write. It's a lot of gets a lot of love in comparison to to Firefly, kind of a magnificent seven and space motif. Uh, I basically won one of everything in their product line uh, for designing some, some game modules for one of their Firefly game systems, um, the Brigands and Brown Coats one. So if you ever if you play Brigands and Brown Coats and you come across uh, uh, one of their new uh, one of the new modules for, uh, for multiplayer gaming, the one called Derelict uh, is the one that I submitted and won the contest with. Oh, that's very cool. I'll have to check that out. I, I'm definitely a brown coat. I've been a fan for a long time. That was a show I remember reading it in the TV Guide, which you would know what that is, but maybe some listeners around the world who are too young to know what TV Guide is, they may not know. But I remember reading about Firefly and TV Guide and thinking, oh, that's awesome. And by the time I finally found it, it was already off the air. So I was a yeah. late, I was I was late to the show. Yeah, I uh, I wrote the first book. In my uh, in my Decker's Dozen series, I'd never seen Firefly, and my uh, my writing critique group. A lot of people were like, "Oh yeah, I, I totally get some of the stuff." Where I mean, I've seen Firefly. I'm like, "What is Firefly?" <laughs> and uh, the Serenity movie had had just kind of come and gone and was on video, and uh, so I started looking into it, and I'm like, "Oh man, I got it. This totally looks like it's my up my alley." And really, what it was was I was so dirt broke at that time that, that uh, I couldn't even afford television and nothing, you know, I couldn't get any channels where I was at. Um, so I went out kind of after the fact and uh, got on board. I'm like, this show is amazing. We're season two. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was, I was managing a theater at the time when Serenity came out and I had nobody who would screen Serenity. And so I was like, all right, well, I'll just stay late and I'll screen this, whatever this is. I didn't know anything about it. And that was my introduction to the Firefly universe was that. And I was like, wait a minute, this reminds me of something I read once somewhere. And next thing you know, yeah, it's, like I said, I'm brown coat for life after that. I've showed a lot of, 
a lot of people uh, that have never even heard of him. Like, all right, you got to come, you got to come watch a show with me. And that uh, crazy thing is, is the movie Serenity, like it holds up. Uh, yeah. doesn't tend to hold up and withstand the test of time. And when Serenity came out, it was maybe kind of a grade B sci-fi movie, but it is, it is, it is held that great. Like a grade B sci-fi movie five years ago. Now, Total cheese fest. Uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago, I mean, it's not, it's laughable. Um, but Serenity, when did Serenity come out? Like 2004? Uh, it was 05, I think. I think it was in my first year that I was working there. So, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, but it, like, it fell up. It's almost like 15 years later, and it is still, it is just as good as ever. Maybe better given some of the uh uh just some of the the themes uh in in the movie it might it might even it might be more relevant now than it ever was and yeah. yep absolutely so now i know that uh, you also uh there's a, a legend about haunted bagpipes so tell us a little bit about this so i uh played bagpipes on the side uh that's my my other side gig my other other side gig. I, i've got <laughs> I'm a serial entrepreneur, so I've got several irons in the fire. I, I own a couple of like, small rentals for college students. And, uh, basically, working with teenagers in a nonprofit doesn't really doesn't pay a whole, whole ton, uh, so I do whatever to stay afloat. But uh, I play bagpipes, and um, I accidentally left my bagpipes behind at a gig uh, at a funeral, and they spent a couple of weeks alone in a remote cemetery out on top of a headstone until I finally realized where I had left them and would drive out and get them. It was like a place two hours down the road in the middle of a, like kind of tucked away in a, a, I think it was a state state park or something like that. And just this little nowhere cemetery. And uh, the I was told that they weren't there by the cemetery superintendent and Finally, I went out and they actually were. So it was just this weird situation. Now, now I'm pretty sure my bagpipes are haunted. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, spend that much time alone in the in a graveyard. I mean, they, they've got to be. <laughs> my 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 goal is to someday own own a haunted mansion or castle somewhere and run it as a B and B. That's that's what I would like to do in my my twilight years. Yeah, I could see that. Maybe uh, find yourself a, a secret room somewhere and play your bagpipes and not not tell the guests. That would be perfect. <laughs> well, uh, all right. So you have got quite the collection of books. Like you talked about, you got your sci-fi series, the uh, Decker's Dozen, and I'm, I'm guessing that's the one inspired. Well, not inspired, but uh, that uh, people liken to Firefly. Yes, more space opera than it is hard sci-fi. Mm -hmm. um, but most people who like one also also like the other. Okay, all right. And there's at least five books in that series so far. Is that is that the complete series, or is there more? There's this is going to go like fourteen books. I've got. Uh, I, I love the characters so much. That's one of the neat things about space operas. It's very character driven. If you if you pull it up on on Amazon and you start looking at it, um, the the best way to buy it is to buy it in paperback. Because book number one, the way it is set up now, is actually the first four books. Uh, they were released as ebooks originally. And those first four books, the Armageddon series, 
they were actually all uh, written after uh, The Last Watchmen, which I wrote as a standalone. That was what I wrote before I ever saw Firefly. And the reason the other books exist is because people kept pestering me at conventions who had picked it up and bought it and just absolutely loved it. They're like, we need more. And then the next year they came, I'm like, yeah, so I wrote a couple more just to pick them up. They're like, no, we don't like ebooks. So I'm like, all right, I'll just, I'll keep writing. And so I wrote a few more and then uh, uh, released that as, uh, as a paperback uh, or, or as the Armageddon Seeds, if you buy an ebook as a, uh, as a compilation, um, as, as kind of as the first installment. So book one. Uh, then I changed the, the title on Last Watchman to book two. And book three, uh, which is not, it's not, it's not episodic. It's not broken up. It's not a collection like that. Book three is another full length adventure, uh, called Ossicon's Lockbox. It's kind of like, uh, searching for pirate treasure in space. Hmm. And, uh, not only did the dozen, which is kind of a mercenary crew, but also, uh, a whole bunch of other bad guys, they all know where this thing is. And uh, uh, it's something that's hinted about in, in the very first uh, of the prequels. The bad guy is kind of—he's kind of the main bad guy. His name is Pronon Ostikon, and he's—he's—he's—he's he's, he's, he's kind of like an intergalactic Skeletor uh, in in many <laughs> ways. And he, uh, everybody knows that he has this this secret treasure in what they call the lockbox, and he just tells a bunch of people, "Whoever springs me from prison, uh, if I ever go to jail." You get the block box. I'll tell you where it is. And, uh, so he's, he's still in prison in, uh, and you find out kind of some of the, the details of why throughout the book series, but he actually wants to be there for a variety of reasons, uh, which I haven't invented yet. Uh, <laughs> but he, he gives a bunch of people the lock box and kind of creates this, this mad race to go and get it. And, uh, it is not exactly the treasure everyone assumes it to be. Uh, it's, uh, it was a really fun book to write and I've got it. Uh, when I when I wrote the prequels, I thought I was testing out some writing software, and I thought I'll just write one like one short story, which turned into four, which uh, <laughs> four and, and another novel. And then as I'm writing more notes, I'm like, well, there's like 14 books here, so uh, I spiraled out of control, and I was helpless to stop it. Oh my gosh! But that's such a great feeling to just strike while the iron's hot and just keep it going and, and put it out there as much as you can. Or allow the story to come out of you as as much as you can while you can. Yes, and I'm I'm trying to release one book in that series per year. I typically write three to seven books per year. Mm. Uh, I am right now. I am about two weeks away from finishing my second book in two months. I uh, I didn't officially do NaNoWriMo, uh, but I thought ah heck I'm gonna I'm just gonna blast this whole thing out of the water. I've got I have an unreleased series, and I, I did another one in that installment. I'll release that once all the books are done. I want to release a book a book a month uh, once all five of those are done. And then, uh, and then I wanted to get the rough draft knocked out on the uh, the third book in the Wolves of the Tesseract series, which is a little like uh, Percy Jackson and Werewolves versus Cthulhu. <laughs> That's a great combination. It, it's uh, – yeah, and I, I had – I was just glad I was able to uh, to get the really to get a cohesive story out of it because after I got done with book two when I ended it normally I know uh, my like my my fantasy series it's going to be a seven book arc I have all of them planned planned at least I know roughly what's happening in each book 
I'm, I'm up through book three on the next series. It's called The Caicos Realm. This one, I got done with the second book, it Wolves of the Tesseract, and I had I had no idea where book three was even going to go. I just knew I was going to end it, and one or two like things that will happen, and I've got to find a way to resolve the storyline. I, I knew what I was going to call it, um, but I had no idea how I was going to end it. And uh, luckily, I had a, had just one day where nothing was going on, and I was bored, and I couldn't leave. And so I sat down and just started fiddling with notes, and it, it kind of all fell together, uh, which is which is great because I really I really had I had to let the characters themselves kind of write the story. I, I didn't know where I was going with it. That's awesome. Yeah, I was going to ask if that was the the Caicos realm. I was just looking at that online out. I, I love the covers and the color. It's funny because may, maybe as a fellow child of the 80s, uh, I don't know if this was done intentionally or not, but I love how those first three books, they remind me so much of the original Chronicles in uh, Dragonlance, uh, how they were red and blue and green. The same, the photo in the middle, the rest of the cover is, is, is that mo- modern color and it's really, really cool looking books. Thanks. I picked the colors on purpose, not because of dragon plants, but um, they were the colors of the three tunics uh, worn uh, Link in the Legend of Zelda. I'm a, mm-hmm. that, I mean, that was childhood sitting in the basement playing the original gold cartridge NES. It was like the major thing I, I remember ever saving my money up to get uh, as a kid. So huge Legend of Zelda fan. That's something I was able to pass on to my son. Uh, but speaking of Dragonlance, it was at Gen Con uh, this this year, um, right next to uh, um, oh, what's her name? Uh, the guy who wrote, who invented Dragonlance, um, uh, Margaret Weiss. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. We were right next to Margaret Weiss. Uh, uh, I was volunteering uh, at Gen Con with SFR uh, in the in the 90s. There was a game called Dragon Depths. Uh, was a TSR. Was a Lester Smith game. Ton of fun. Uh, I think it was 95, between 94 and 96. It was like game of the year. Uh, it was huge. And I read, you know, like Wizard and Inquest and all those great gaming magazines in the 90s. And um, uh always wanted to do Gen Con and hit the gumball machines to get the they, – they would always put individual dice in the, in the games. And I'm working with SFR, who now owns the license. They, they're still releasing products. The game is having a bit of a renaissance. And uh, – I've been talking with them, some of the guys on the board there, about maybe relaunching that fiction series and actually have the rough draft of the manuscript they're going through now. Uh, the book's already written. Um, so, and I had kind of pissed the idea of, hey, why not a series? The first couple of books that were out, one was a cheese fest. Um, the other, uh, another couple were really just very, very short stories. And then they had a full length book where you got a promo guy if you bought it. And that's the one I remember the most. And I remember loving it as a kid, and then it was re- reading reviews in modern day. Um, it was called Cast of Fate, and it was very critically panned. Like, this was mm-hmm. great. They said, I read it now as an adult. I'm like, yeah, they were kind of right. Uh, but I won't miss that, uh, that energy, uh, harness that kind of the writing style in Dragonlance and write something in a, in a pre-existing universe and kind of, kind of write the ship with that. And, uh, we're hoping it's going to be a trilogy, um, but uh, that's that will hopefully be one of, one of my books that come out in uh, um, <clears throat> in 2020. Here, I'm hoping I'm hoping it's going to release at Gen Con uh, 2020. 
it's it still needs some editing work and they're still looking looking through it. Um, so I'm not sure if we'll make that timeline, but I, I think we can. Hmm. So I'm hoping that we drop that. Uh, I'm literally like I've got like seven books I would like to launch, but <laughs> like I said, I, I I write a lot of books. Uh, people ask me when I sleep. I'm like, remember the coffee thing? Uh, not a lot. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was hoping that uh, by the time the uh, next Comic Con comes around here in Kansas City, that I would have at least two more books out uh, by then. And now I'm going to be lucky if I have the one. Uh, and then the uh, the current trilogy I'm working on, I want to have them all done and then put them out in regular succession to kind of get uh, readers in. But I don't know. We'll see. There's just so many things in life, and we'll see what happens. I don't know. But it's looking like a good year ahead for uh, 2020. Yeah, I'm, I know. I'm excited. Like I did running this blog for independent authors, and I talk a lot about sales, and I talk a lot about um, some marketing stuff. And I'm I'm really not – I'm not great at online marketing, so I read a lot of books by other people who are, just so I can kind of, kind of maintain in that realm. <clears throat> but when I go to comic cons, that's where I, I really nail it. Um, I did uh, the last con. I mean, last con I did a couple of days. I hit like I sold out of Fifty Shades of Warp on day one, mm. um, and uh, I, I it's maybe the first time I had a con where people actually came looking. Uh, for a book and looking for me, uh, and some of that's due to marketing materials and efforts. And some of it's due to just having having some ARC readers that were uh, were so thrilled with the book, talking about it. And uh, but I hit like I hit a couple of hundred books, and I'm convinced we could have sold another fifty to hundred uh, if I'd have had more. Like I, I just I ran out of books uh, at a you know at a pretty significant size con. So I'm. I'm excited. So you should check out some of my articles if you're an indie author on, on those things. And I was following the advice of somebody else who claimed to sell 350 to 450 books for comic convention. And if you've ever been to comic con with books, you know, it's like, like 60 or 70 books is a pretty good con. And we blew past the one. Like, um, there's ways to do it if you're intentional. And, uh, uh, but it, I would, I would much rather just, as, as much fun as cons are and pitching, I enjoy meeting people there and talking and, and hanging out. Selling is fine. I do it pretty well. But I would rather just sit and write. You know, somebody just pay for me to write. I'll, I'll share an audience. <laughs> so I guess we'll, we'll have to see. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned the, the latest book, Fifty Shades of Wharf, and how, how well it's doing, which is just awesome. It looks incredible. I love the, the cover on there and then this the name itself. Fifty Shades of Wharf that just begs your interest whenever you're you're flipping through and going through Amazon and, or wherever somebody comes across it you're gonna stop on this book and be like wait what so tell us a <laughs> tell us a little bit about Fifty Shades so Fifty Shades uh, I love to give I love to give my my pitch because I really zeroed in on this so features a, a back alley brawl between the furries and the bronies. A Deadpool cosplayer has been stealing all the erotic Pegasus artwork, and someone's Necronomicon opened a tentacle portal in the men's room. Two police detectives have to go undercover at Comic-Con to stop Will Wheaton's murder. <clears throat> the, the, title, um, the title comes from a, a line that said in, in the course of the book while they're at this comic convention trying to uh, – uh, basically doing surveillance on Will Wheaton. They're, they're, these two cops are basically using him as bait. 
Um, it's kind of like a, it's, it's a buddy cop type of story. Like think if you see Brooklyn Nine Nine, think like Brooklyn Nine Nine goes to Comic Con. Um, you'll get a you'll get a sense of the uh, the humor and kind of the tease that's going on. But they're 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 sitting there watching him, and uh, Will Wheaton's at one spot, and Michael Dorn is at the, the adjacent table. And Michael Dorn, if you're not familiar, he, he plays War in Star Trek, and Will Wheaton played another character in Star Trek. So, um, so they're they're both there, and this other minor character who's been kind of has been a tag along at the uh, convention looks over and sees Michael Dorn and goes, "Ah, oh, Michael Dorn, could you use me some Fifty Shades of War?" And that's that's where the book title comes from. <laughs> oh my gosh! So, right, where does where did an idea like this come from? Uh, I just wanted to write something fun without any, any kind of, uh, purpose or ulterior motive. I didn't have any moral or deep truths I was trying to get through. I just wanted to write something that makes people laugh, uh, and that was fun. Uh, and, uh, this was actually was my NaNoWriMo project from a couple of years ago. So it's, it's short. It's very quickly paced. Um, uh, there's a review on Amazon. It's only been out. The book hasn't been out for a month yet either. And uh, one of the reviewers commented, like, I bought this and read it yesterday. Like, <laughs> plowed through it one day because I couldn't put it down. Um, it also isn't so overly long that you're, you know, you're not buying. You're not buying some massive thing that you, you got to plod through. Um, but uh, then I did discover too, and getting some of my. Uh, uh, getting some like critical reviews to do some review services and some, some feedback. Somebody commented, and you can find these as well on the Amazon uh, uh, posting. Somebody talked about like, oh, he, he's like, yeah, I like cop stories. That's why I picked it up. Uh, not really familiar with the humor, but it did draw me in. I really enjoyed kind of where it was going. And it was a, it was a, uh, the character development was what he really liked. And he had, he had quoted something on there. Um, he had read a quote. Um, so in, in the story, uh, there's this big hulking Rick Diego. He doesn't even own a television, doesn't care about popular culture. Uh, he's, he's basically, he's like this film noir type detective. He is all business, super serious, uh, built like the rock and just tough on crime. Uh, and then there's the, the new detective, Moses Farnsworth, who is like a super nerd. He's overweight, goes to comic cons, lives in his mom's basement. And uh, uh, he just kind of stumbles into getting assigned to this case uh, so that him and Far yeah, so him and, and Diego have to work together. So uh, Farnsworth is just in heaven, and Diego it feels like he's been saddled with this, this uh, kind of the worst cop ever. Uh, but he knows the Comic-Con scene. He knows that's where the murder, uh, uh, that's where the murder is that he has to stop because the murderer in, in the opening scenes of the book killed his original partner. So he's kind of got a vendetta. He basically needs a nerd guide uh, to help him through Comic Con, and, and part of the—I mean, part of this is because I do so many Comic Cons for book sales that it's like there's a lot of material here to use. So many, so many funny things. Uh, and as I'm writing it, I'm sharing some of the stuff with some of the uh, some of the Facebook Facebook groups I'm a part of. And somebody uh, commented like, "Oh, it's just like uh, Bimbo's of the Death Cell." I'm like, what is this book? So I, uh, I picked it up and I read it. I'm like, all right, yeah. So Bimbo's of the Death Sun was uh, a story written by um, Jay, uh, not Jay, um, Sharon McCrum, uh, was a, who writes, she writes a lot of different genres of stories. She wrote, basically, she writes a lot of, uh, of crime books too, um, and then a lot of lighthearted kind of stuff. 
And so this was a murder mystery that took place at a hotel con. And it was like written in the early 80s. So it's very, very dated. Uh, and there's a significant difference between conventions at a hotel and like the big pop culture cons like San Diego Comic Con, like uh, Planet Comic Con is or, uh, or Fan Fusion or New York City Comic Con or Emerald City. Those ones that take place in a huge kind of, uh, you know, this huge place with the rows and rows of tables. And then there's the smaller hotel cons where, um, you know, you get, you get one to five thousand people in a large uh, convention center hotel. And, uh, you have a lot of panels in, in, in all of their rooms. I mean, there's just a different feel. It's a different motive. So this took place in one of those. And, uh, I'm really convinced that she probably was the, the author that would got wound up dead in this, in this story. And then the detectives had to solve the murder. I'm pretty convinced that he was, uh, was probably modeled on, uh, Crown Ice and Fire. Who's that guy? Um, uh, oh, don't go to Ice and, yeah, uh, uh, um, George Martin. George R. R. Martin. I'm pretty sure that that's who she modeled him after. Just some fan killed him because, <laughs> because uh, he didn't like the way he was writing his favorite character or something like that. Uh, so it was was kind of neat. So I kind of wanted him to write, you know, as I, I read that about halfway through um, completion of my story, I didn't change my story because of it. Although I did throw in kind of a, a little homage to McCrum and made her the author of a book that they're going to be filming a movie on. That's what brings Wheaton to this, uh, Wheaton to this cinema. Um, and then that's all part of a, an elaborate scheme by the mob that, that you can read about in the story. Um, there really is no movie. Uh, so all the nerds are actually, you know, really faked out because it was, uh, anyway, I don't want to give you a spoiler, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's, it's all tied together. Uh, but this is more updated and is more a, uh, the large, uh, San Diego style convention, uh, pop culture con, uh, rather than being a, rather than being very, um, genre niche specific. Uh, and, uh, and also I recently finished watching Comment with Alan Tudyk. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you, is that humor is right there. I'm like, this is hilarious. Uh, let's kind of blend all of these ideas together. Um, and actually, so I, this was my NaNoWriMo, uh, project and immediately after finishing this project, at the end of November, from that year, I, 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 a couple of years ago, Brooklyn Nine-Nine actually had an episode where they went to Comic-Con, and it played out pretty similar to my book, although in a much smaller fashion. Was, uh, the plot was more like uh, McCrum's book, um, only without the murders, like an attempted murder kind of a deal. Mm. Um, but uh, that was, was also very funny. So I'm like, I think the humor is relevant. I think other people are, other people are seeing this, and, and also – Comic cons are so mainstream now. I mean, we've been talking about them really ever since the success of uh, well the, the cons themselves, but I mean they really hit mainstream with like uh, 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 Big Bang Theory, you know, with the cast of that going to you know, it on show. You know, mm-hmm. they're always trying to get every year. That was one you know a recurring episode theme, and uh, everybody everybody that's been to one kind of likes them. They're they're a lot of fun and. If you haven't been to one, you should definitely get to one. Stop by and see me at Planet Comic Con, and uh, uh, I'll, uh, I won't charge you extra for an autograph that I don't charge extra for anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes, that was my my first uh, major con was last year, or earlier this year's, and I'm, I'm definitely going back again. I'm looking forward to uh, to doing this again. And I know my friends with uh, Pop Goes the Culture who uh, who share these episodes, I know they are, they're going to love this book, and 
they're going to be there as well. So it's going to be we're going to, it's going to be a good time. Well, where can uh, where can people find and follow you and learn more about you? Well, they can find me on a website, uh, authorchristopherdschmitz.com. You can find me on Facebook. Um, you can find me on, uh, like you said, I have a blog, uh, which is linked through my uh, linked through my main site. Uh, I'm on Twitter, although I don't use it a whole lot. Um, my uh, my best contact is usually through, through Facebook or through my website. I I answer emails quite a bit. Uh, if you're on Story Origin at all, which is a great place to you can get you can get a lot of free books that way. You can sign up for my mailing list through Story Origin or directly through my website, uh, and uh, you'll be able to, to communicate with me directly that way. I I, I love hearing back from people that have read my stuff, um, people that you know, share their pictures of their dogs or uh, launch. I'm about to release my next newsletter here on the uh, 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 next few days. Uh, sharing a, just sharing a lot of weird stories, things that make people laugh. Or they're interesting, you know, kind of exclusive content that way, like uh, like how I was on my way to Comic-Con, and uh, I set up the bomb detectors in the Minneapolis airport. Um, <laughs> that, that led to some interesting conversations with some people uh, on security with the really tight little latex gloves. That was a, that was a good time. I asked them to at least buy me dinner first. Um, <laughs> Uh, so be careful when you, when you travel. Uh, apparently, tuna the bomb, bomb detectors. So with my with my cosplay, I, I I have to spend a lot of time at the gym. I have to eat a lot. I have a very high protein meal, otherwise my abs will disappear. And uh, uh, yeah, so I typically will bring a lot of high protein. So actually, this is on my way to Gen Con because uh, uh, I wasn't bringing books with me, so I was taking the airplane. Uh, it's hard to fly with books. Uh, and I had my, my suitcase basically I stuffed full of like high protein food. Most of it was like tuna and nuts and all sealed, but something on the ceiling or something had gone wrong and uh, set up the bomb detector. And, uh, uh, yeah, that was a good time. Oh my uh, gosh. <laughs> sharing one of my most embarrassing stories from junior high. So it would be a, a good time. <laughs> oh my gosh. And we'll have, we'll have links for all of this in the show notes. So everybody can just click on there at the bottom and uh, get on over there so you can learn this and so much more about Christopher. <laughs> and, oh my God. I'm looking forward to it. I, I you know, I think uh, you've helped me discover my problem where my abs, when I'm not having enough protein. So I'm not to, uh, I'm going to have to pick up some more protein. <laughs> I protein. Check out uh, this is an app out there. Um, J E fit. Uh, if you go J E fit.com, there might be a dash in between J E and fit. Uh, it's a free app. Um, <clears throat> I, I do – I alternate between two different um, workout routines. Uh, one is the one that Hugh Jackman used for Days of Future Past, and the other one is the one that Thor used, uh, Chris Hemsworth. Hmm. Uh, I've got – if anybody friends me on there, if you search me, you should be able to find me. Um, those two workout routines are a little hard to find, hard to come by, uh, but I can always – I always enjoy, enjoy sharing those with people um, and uh, who are also lifting weights, trying to get in shape. Uh, I really started about 10 years ago when I was turning 30. I'm like, I'm going to be fat forever. I'm like, well, I guess I better start now because once I hit 30, I'm, it, it ain't go, going backwards. Um, now I'm like, my 40th birthday present was going to be abs. So I'm like, I got to keep them. That's the hardest part. They say abs are made in the kitchen. Muscles are made in the gym. So There you go. That's right. Oh, my gosh. This has been a lot of fun, and I, 
I cannot wait. I know you've already given me a warning about the uh, the, the laughing and the jokes is uh, about to uh, hence come forth, and uh, but I can't wait. But uh, we'll see. Maybe if I maybe if I'm laughing, I'll just have to leave it in there. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to hearing this story as well. Thank you so much for being a guest. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, time for me to step aside, hand the floor over to Christopher D. Schmitz with Fifty Shades of War. All right. So I'm going to give you a little setup. I wanted to jump in on the cop side of things. Uh, so the book starts as kind of a uh, kind of a police procedural, and it's kind of kind of haha, uh, and then it just gets starts steamrolling with some of the humor and the jokes. And the more and more uh, Moses Farnsworth gets involved in the story. So I'm going to jump ahead uh, into the scenes in the Comic Con. So in about the middle of the book, the scene is Farnsworth and Diego are at the convention. They are they're undercover because uh, they don't want anybody to know. They're using Will Wheaton as bait to find the murderer from Rick Diego's first part. And also stop, stop Wheaton's murder, too, if possible. You know, that's also a priority. But I'm going to read uh, Chapter 42, and I may just – I may read Chapter 43, too, because I write just really quick shotgun. They're, they're like only a couple of pages uh, each. Um, so I'm going to start here, Chapter 42, The Mirror Universe. It's not him. Farnsworth said as he jumped over the bearded Wesley Crusher. It's just some dude dressed up like Wheaton from the old television series. I should give you another, another, this is, they, they have just spotted the murderer for the first time. They don't really know what he looks like, but they believe he's going to be there in disguise. So they're chasing him through this, this crowded compound. At the edges of the slowly collapsing dance circle, a few people clapped. Others cheered or took selfies with the body in the background. The crowd clearly thought this was some kind of clever act. Jessica was beside herself. I saw him, she trembled, but took comfort as she leaned into Diego's arms. Long, dark hair, suit coat, dressed like a normal. She pointed to a door that Diego guessed led into a service hall. Farnsworth crouched by the body. Go get him, he nodded. I've got this, he gestured to Diego. But give me your vest. Still dressed mostly as Lobo, he shrugged off the guard. Diego charged towards the corridor's entry, now bare-chested. Farnsworth wrapped as much of the body under the vest in his own shirt to keep him from leaving a blood trail to the nearby janitor's closet. In case he didn't catch me, they would need to reset the trap and try again. Any kind of panic shutting down the convention wouldn't help. He looked up and watched Jessica chase Diego through the door. Farnsworth hoped she would help rather than make the situation worse. Jamming the body into the closet, he pulled out the mop as he thumbed his cell phone. He'd have to send Quas a message and get someone discreet down here to take care of the body after patrol car closed in the evening and shifted to the various hotel parties. Farnsworth watched the hydraulic assist and the hall door slowly closed, separating him from Diego. Diego charged ahead, methodically checking the angles to clear the path from any danger. He turned towards the footsteps behind him and nearly drew his gun on Jessica. Before he could demand that she leave, Jessica insisted, I can help you. I saw the killer. The service hallway branched off with short corridors that terminated in banquet halls and meeting rooms. Stacks of chairs, loading dollies, and service carts lined the halls where employees had left them live. It appeared like some kind of a maintenance maze. Both of them wrinkled their noses as they rounded the corner. Refrigerant, Jessica pointed to the greenish liquid puddle by the base trim. Diego kept moving, not really caring why she could identify so specific of a liquid. In the distance, around at least one quarter, a latch echoed loudly as the door clicked shut. I know where he went, Jessica explained. 
There's another lobby on the other side of the convention center. It's the sixth street entrance. Diego nodded and sprinted forward to try and catch up. Winded by the jog, Jessica tried to catch up. The hallway suddenly erupted in a pandemonium. Costumed denizens of the halls jumped out to bar his passage. Their brightly colored fabrics and masks whirled like a kaleidoscope. Jumping atop a chair, a scrawny man dressed as a pink panther, except that he wore a leather thong, screamed, Another intruder! The bronies continued to violate the sacred truce and cross through the neutral zone. Diego barely slowed as he looked back at Jessica. She pushed and shoved at the costumers who clawed at her. Furries, run! The detective plowed through as the furries raised fists high, brandishing makeshift weapons and costume props like some kind of My Little Pony Mad Max hybrid. Pink Panther yelled, We must defend our honor and our borders! His minions screamed their support. Justice for Jonah! Jonah, a turquoise leopard, leaned against a cement block wall with his mask off. He nursed a bloody nose, probably from Hodak, and mumbled, I'm okay, you guys, really. The cry for her blood only intensified as Jessica caught up to Diego. Together, they burst through the line and fled with 30 angry furries cursing them like a foe for a flood. Directly ahead, a bare-chested, overweight man in a mullet and neon spandex crawled atop a stack of tables and howled, The furries want to go to war with the bronies? So be it! Bronies assemble! The other side of the hallway suddenly filled with humanoid men and a few women, wearing fake ears and brightly colored hair, tails, and wigs. Someone screamed from the rear, Super magic friendship beat down! Diego grabbed Jessica's hand and led her through the oncoming horde. He lowered his shoulder and pushed through with relative ease. Bronies bounced off his tough exterior with whimpers and squeaks. Oh no, Jessica said beneath her breath. It's a full-blown turf war between the furries and the bronies. The prophecy is finally coming true. Just as they emerged from the crowd of colorful, fluffy anarchy, two forces collided. They wheezed and shrieked as they smashed against each other. You are supposed to be one of us, a furry screamed. For Equestria! Several bronies shouted as they curb-stomped a fox girl. We're 20% cooler than you! Diego and Jessica finally crashed through the fire door and into the 6th Street lobby. Immediately, they spotted a long-haired man stepping into a group of non-Japanese Japanese schoolgirls. With his broad shoulders and dark suit, he stuck out like a sore thumb no matter how he tried to hide. There, Jessica pointed. Diego sprinted ahead and speared him from the back, tackling him like an eager linebacker. The man screamed with a feminine shriek as the detective took him down. Pinning him to the ground, a brown wig fell off of the costume gender pin. She howled for help, and the cosplay schoolgirls rained down fists and feet upon Detective Diego. They screamed their mantra, Cosplay is not consent! Cosplay is not consent! One woman began blowing her rape whistle like she was selected for a solo at a concert. Barely able to see through the flurry of fists and gang-style beatdown the anime group delivered, he relinquished his grip on the suspect and scrambled to see. Jessica shrugged. Sorry, she said. It looked like him at first. Diego frowned but didn't say anything. He walked in silence and took the long way around to find his partner. Perking up as the announcer stated in the loudspeaker that Will Wheaton had returned to the autograph signing tables after taking a short break. He checked his watch. With almost one day down out of the several, he knew this would prove to be a very long weekend. Day two. Rick Diego rested his head against the cold brick and leaned against the urinal as he closed his eyes. The day had barely begun. He didn't know why, but he felt hungover. The mental exhaustion had caught up. 
He tightened his nostrils and tried not to inhale too deeply. The toilets had begun to smell, as expected. The pockets of the general population had also begun to emit a mysterious aura that no amount of Axe body spray could mask. Something like a post-asparagus musk. Wrinkling his nose in disgust, Diego washed his hands and read the sign posted on the mirror. Achievement unlocked. Hands washed. He guessed he might have been one of the proud few to earn such a prestigious award. The detective splashed a little water on his face, began strapping on the layers of leather that made up his judge dread cost. He began to wonder exactly why his partner owned as much leather as he did. When Jack Sparrow sauntered through the laboratory, odors didn't lie, and he most certainly wasn't faking the rum-drunk walk as he staggered to the urn. Release the Kraken! The pirate yelled as he unzipped his pants and pissed all over the wall, fully two inches left of the prison. Diego sighed, put on his helmet, venturing back towards the craziness that was Troll. He got close to his table and spotted Farnsworth trying his best to shoo away a booth barnacle who wouldn't stop talking. The balding man with an itchy neck beard stood barely four feet ten, probably weighed around 300 pounds, and smelled like he'd eaten all the asparagus. Diego wasn't certain he was even speaking English. That's why Matoko Kasunagi is totally my waifu, he said in a grating, high-pitched voice. He glanced down the aisle at a teenage girl wearing the character's skin-tight bodysuit and licked his chapped lips. I think she could learn to love me, he said in a borderline whisper. Diego stopped right in front of the booth and stood uncomfortably close to the diminutive troll. He stared him down. El Creepo cringed and took a step back. Nothing about Diego's demeanor indicated he wanted to take the man up on the free hugs offer advertised by his pit-stained T-shirt. I see you looking at my daughter, he lied. The detective waved to the anime cosplayer as if he knew her. She waved back without explanation. Oh, um, there's Bulma way over there. Maybe she's looking for some Dragon Balls. The human hot hybrid waddled away as quickly as his Kawaki monkey lizard legs could carry him. Whew, exclaimed Farnsworth. He reached under the table and pulled out an aerosol can. He hoped the Febreze was capable of defeating the lingering cloud in orbital combat. Diego plopped down into his chair so they could continue watching for their targets. Wheaton wouldn't be back at the table for a while, and Doran seemed all the better for it. Is it just me? Would the craziness actually amplify overnight? he asked as he removed his sweaty helmet. An unmistakable weariness colored his voice. Farnsworth nodded and jotted notes down on their subjects. Kubrick had announced a huge panel to discuss the Knights of the Illuvian Age with Wheaton on the following day. He was making a killing selling t-shirts and last-minute additions to the, the kick funding. Only those participants in shirts or who gave online got admission to the exclusive panel discussion. Diego watched his weird, spandex-clad partner. He could tell Farnsworth wanted to join that panel in the worst possible way, but refused to let his current duty slide. What's the big deal with this Alluvian Knights book, anyway? Farnsworth brightened. can hardly believe you haven't heard of it. Groundbreaking, exhilarating. He was talking like a newspaper review. It builds a very real, very big world where some unknown heroes, the little guys, rise up and make it a better place. Elves, dwarves. All of those kinds of fantasy elements, that sort of make the world somehow better, certainly different. He got quiet for a moment. Not everybody is good at life. For people who don't feel like they fit in, the emotion of the crowd around them, fantasy helps them escape those bad feelings. We're not stuck on the outside anymore. We're finally important. And I honestly believe that everyone feels like that at some point in their life. 
Diego listened with thin lips. He nodded measuredly, barely perceptible. Farnsworth pulled a book out of his belt. He handed the worn and dog-eared copy of the Knights of the Illuvian Age to his partner, who opened the cover, flapped, and spotted a scribbled signature. I got this signed by Sharon G. R. R. K. McCrum two years ago, just before she died. He put it in Diego's hands. Take it. Diego could only stare at the book. He wasn't quite sure how to respond. Before he could even muster a thank you, a group of security officers marched down the aisle like stormtroopers, led by the smug Officer Harding. They stopped at the detective's booth, and Harding dropped a note in front of them. It had been folded up in a triangular paper football shape. The confather thought it prudent to send you a message. Also, you guys keep leaving your booth unattended. You can't do that. Con policy. Next time, you might come back and there will be nothing left, Harding grinned. Threat delivered. He turned 180 on his heels with military-like precision. One of his escorts didn't understand the move, and Harding stepped right into it. Both men fell to the ground, and Harding hurled insults at him that he'd ripped off from any number of old cartoons. Get off me, you imbecilic buffoon! He crawled to his feet, muttered, Out of my way, you lame-brained dunderhead! And he stormed off. The two detectives looked at each other. I guess Tudyk really likes his erotic horse art. <laughs> oh my goodness. That was Christopher D. Schmitz reading two chapters from his latest book, Fifty Shades of Wharf. Hey, the book is available right now. Follow the links in the show notes for this book, as well as Christopher's website and uh, everywhere else that you can find him. Don't forget to also click the links in the notes for our friends and sponsors alike. And be sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out next week when we come back with a new author, a new book, and a new sample chapter. Hey, sign up for the giveaways. you got a little bit more time. Take care, everybody. See you soon.